Sorry about the sporadic releases lately, guys, with uh, the podcast. Just busy months. Uh, Derek's had his excuses. Will's had his excuses. And me as the producer and host and everything. I guess when my, my schedule builds up, it it's a lot harder to hide. Here you are with our Monday release. But I've been playing with the idea of Friday releases, too. Uh, shoot us some uh, feedback if you have an opinion. Would you rather get the episode on a Friday and listen, be able to listen to it over the weekend, or do you enjoy it on your Monday morning commute to work? We'll take some listener suggestions there. I've always contemplated there is no best day to release a podcast. So uh, if you've caught up on our podcast, Will's in McPherson, Kansas at the Cars Club 20th Annual Car Show. John's been too busy with his new business and amazingly has been thrust into a situation where there might be a second business forming uh, around the podcast realm, something I started on about six, eight months ago, and all of a sudden the pieces fell into place. You'll learn more about that if that happens. Derek joins us tonight. Derek, how are you doing? I'm still alive, so that counts for something. A <laughs> little, little bit stressful month, right? Four months, roughly, yeah. No, we, um, we're we doing good. Uh, I'm doing good. Of course, as, as most people know, I've talked about it a bit on the podcast. Uh, starting in January, we gutted the uh, one of the exhibit areas in the exhibit galleries in the museum and the basically the main admissions area. Basically renovated the whole space, totally new exhibit, totally new admissions layout, and it opened up um, actually about a week ago. Things are things are good. Everybody's liking the new exhibit. Um, it's it's definitely a, a little bit of a, a different story from what was in that space before, but you know people really seem to be taken to it. We unveiled it or had the ribbon cutting for it at uh, our big event that happened, uh, the uh, Michelin Bash that happens here at the museum. Yeah, it was it was uh, well received and it was a good weekend. So uh, all those four months of stress were relieved through the week. Hey, you forgot to bring up the, what I want to say, the, the new admission price at the Corvette Museum, which is 50% of the previous costs, right? Mm, I don't think you did your math right there. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. You'll have <laughs> to stop by and see it. Admission admission went from $10 to $12. Ooh. Are you one of those kind places that includes sales tax in your admission, or does it actually, like, place I used to work, yeah, $15 to get in, but that'll be sixteen fifty after sales tax. Uh which really uh, really annoys me when you do that. Just charge me 17 bucks and shut up. <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah. Actually, what happened is um, for a long time, Kentucky did not charge sales tax on admissions to nonprofits like this. So there was no sales tax to deal with. And then they started playing around with the idea of doing it. And that's kind of what led to the up to $12. We just decided to say, you know, okay, let's just make it an even number. It covers everything, $12. Now there's a whole bunch of controversy in the state of Kentucky over that whole sales tax thing on admissions to nonprofits. And so it's it's very confusing, but admission is $12 to the National Corvette Museum. And there, of course, are discounts for youth and senior citizens, active military, so on and so forth. But general admission is $12. Oh, that was just my way of ranting about if when I walk into a museum and that, no matter where, if you're telling me it's fifteen bucks, it should be fifteen bucks. If you're telling me it's twelve bucks, it should be twelve bucks. I should 
lay out 12 George Washingtons and be happy. So I'm glad to see that you guys thought ahead and whether or not that legislation passes, you've you've already compensated for it. And really 12 bucks to walk into any museum anymore, that's a private entity. I know, you know, government or um, Smithsonian's free to walk into. Costs you a fortune to park, but Smithsonian's free to walk into. Corvette Museum, it's free to park, but it costs you 12 bucks to walk into. And I think that, like I was saying, that's a very fair price, I think, to walk into a uh, a museum, especially knowing what the overhead and the costs are involved there. A world-class institution, John. Yes. Institution, that's a very appropriate word for people like us. <laughs> I keep grabbing the wrong mouse here while I'm trying to look at news and happenings and things going on in the world. Well, there's some big news uh, uh, that was released on Hemmings yesterday, and of course was released here at the museum. Well, hopefully you caught that that post because I even put it up on Facebook, and you shared it on the No Driving Gloves Facebook page. Yeah, that doesn't mean I remembered it. But <laughs> yeah. why don't you go ahead and uh, enlighten the listeners, and that way, if our listeners aren't a fan of the Facebook page, which is our most active social media conduit. Yeah, so part of the new exhibit um, was the planned um, loan of the oldest surviving Corvette chassis, which is chassis number three, has a, a cutaway body on top of it. So you can see the mechanical underside of the car on the driver's side. But uh, the owners, uh, the Fosses, Ed and Teresa Foss, fantastic family, and uh, Ed Foss, very well known in the Corvette community. Uh, rather than loan the car to the museum for the exhibit, they decided to donate the car to the museum so it would be permanently housed here um, as a kind of a legacy of, of Ed Foss and his uh, passion and, and time spent, uh, you know, collecting and preserving Corvette history. So uh, kind of a major, major donation and major announcement for the museum. So. Yeah, I can't remember if I've seen that car. I remember like a 57 that has the body elevated above the chassis or something. And I've seen a, a C1 that was uh, the, the 53 to 55 that was half restored and half original at Bloomington Golds over the year or years, like 20 years ago or so. But I don't know if I've seen that one, but it's kind of, it's definitely a cool exhibit. And I think a lot of us are mechanical and love to see the cutaways and the details and how, how some of that stuff fits together. And if I remember right, the cutaway is the driver's side of the car, so you get to see a lot more of the mechanical that way. You know, it's sometimes, you know, steering linkages and pedal linkages and things like that that Elon Musk is doing away with. Yeah, who needs them anyway? Well, that's what uh, Musk says. Now, I guess the quote from him yesterday, as we're recording on uh, the 3rd, was... You're nuts to buy any other car now because tes everything will be obsolete compared to a Tesla in three years. You know, you're just throwing your money away. Crazy man. We're still hoping to get him or Joe Rogan on the podcast episode, both being car people. Oh, yeah, we'll get there. Eventually. I guess I don't have a lot to talk about car-wise. I've just been busy with my stuff, and if I talk, it's self-promotion. And if it's also, if I talk, it's uh, some a lot of the stuff I do now is confidential between me and clients. But I've seen some pretty cool cars and um, playing with certain things. I uh, try to deal with the podcast, but staying busy. Starting to get out to some of the car shows and such. Derek and I were talking, 
and the podcast is, you know is about the collector car hobby and how we we say that we want to get children involved and we try to keep it a clean podcast so that maybe children can listen to this and be educated we need to maybe liven it up and do a little bit more DJ voice stuff and Derek's much better at that than me one of the things that has occurred to me in watching really the industry for the last couple of years a lot of people say kids children the children that are growing up are not car people i kind of agreed with that and kind of wanted to say no they're not car you know they're not car people we really need to motivate them and then all of a sudden a couple of years back about 2 years ago Porsche introduced a car uh E3 which is the big electronics convention and manufacturers are doing introductions at odd times or different different times. And I don't know how much notice Derek had of the quote Corvette announcement at the the Corvette Museum. We don't want to know. He's you know, there's things he can't tell us if he does know. You know, even the Corvette, they they didn't debut it at a big car show. They debuted it among Corvette people. And now wait, I'm going to jump in because you got to remember it wasn't debuted. It just did a drive-by in its camouflage. The debut is happening on July 18th, 2019. Drive-by in its camouflage, and maybe Derek will let us know how that car drives in a, one episode in six or eight months. As, But we won't go too far into that. But my, my thinking and what, where I'm going is I really think kids are car people, and more so than we think. They just aren't out in the the street or in the driveway or in the garage wrenching on the cars. They want these turnkey plug-and-play things because they build them on their computers that way. Um, The house I live in has two younger kids, and while they play Fortnite and things like that, they all every now and then I'll go by and they're watch they're playing some sort of car video game or they're kind of uh, familiar with that. You know, we have the racing games in the simulations, and we've had Sean Yoder guest on the the podcast before. Maybe we should have had him guest today about the sim world. And these kids are racing and they're drag racing and they're building cars and they're understanding the components and things, except they're doing it all virtually. And do we think that will eventually translate to real world when the 13-year-old grows up and graduates, you know, college or has his trade job or whatever career path? I don't want to say you've got to graduate college and I don't want to say you have to be, you know, you know, be a tradesman. But whatever career path they choose and they have some money in the bank, will they still be virtually doing this or will they start going out and buying that? Nissan GTR or 370Z or Corvette or Challenger Hellcat, etc. Do you have any thoughts or what? what's your take on that? Or am I nuts there, Derek? No, I think you're exactly right. I think that the computer age has really changed what we should think of as kids getting into cars. Because like you say, you know, there's, there's, all these different games and things that kids can play. And a lot of those games involve building a, a turnkey car, you know, customizing a car the way you want it. And kids get really into that. And not even kids. There's adults that I know that get into these games. I don't remember. I don't, I'm not a big video game guy, so I don't play a lot of these video games. But 
you know, I know a lot of, of people my age and even people older than me that are into these car games that you race cars, you know, you build up pots of money, winning races, and, and you can customize the car and do things like that. And they spend a lot of their time, as you say, John, designing the car that they think is cool and that they would want someday. And yeah, they're not, maybe they're not out in the garage working on it like traditional car guys are. And, you know, that that can be looked at as good or bad. And I don't know that we want to get into that on this this episode or anything, but they're still doing something with cars, even if it's in a virtual world. The the interesting thing that I see, and, and John, you touched on it a little bit, which is the automotive industry has caught on to this. And as you say, you know, they're introducing cars at these big electronic shows. Not only that, they're putting these cars, they're debuting these cars at electronic shows and putting them directly into the game uh, corvette the c7 corvette uh you know they actually although the car had already been introduced you know uh, at the uh, detroit auto show 11313 that whole thing they made a c7 corvette customized c7 corvette that they unveiled i believe i'm gonna probably do a little research before i start spouting off but i think it was at Possibly the Consumer Electronics Show, maybe, if I remember correctly. Uh, but they debuted a car specifically for the Gran Turismo racing games. And I don't remember which Gran Turismo it was. In my head, it pops out that it was Gran Turismo 5, but I could be wrong there. Uh, but, I mean, this was a, a matte blue C7 Corvette. It had been lowered. Uh, had a special, uh, you know, aerodynamics package, you know, tinted yellow lights. I mean, really, they built this car, and then Sony rendered the car into the game. It wasn't that they took a car that was in the game and built it. They built this game, uh, this car, specifically for Sony to render and put into the game. Even the automotive industry is catching on that, kids that are car you know interested in cars a lot of them are getting interested through these computer games that they're playing at home spending hours building cars the way they want them it would not surprise me to find out that you know auto industry representatives spend time in those games seeing what kids have designed to see what they should be designing in the studio to put out on the street so i i really think you know that yes we as traditional car people that you know john will and myself we like to go out to the garage we like to pick up a wrench we like to wrench on our cars we grew up that way with dads with family members with other people around us that that's how they did it and it was handed down and we're all john will myself we're all in about the same age range we were kind of the generation just before computers became a big, big household thing. So I think we're used to the traditional car guys, and we have to start realizing that the next generation are going to have their own traditions of being car people and how they look at it. And, you know, you never know. I mean, being that they've spent so much time around computers and designing cars and doing things... I mean, these guys might become some fantastic automotive designers in the future, and we might see some crazy things come out of the auto industry. I, I mean, I think it is where a lot of the new car guys are living. And I think one way we can back that up is, you know, first of all, you know, video games and the massive video games are more lucrative 
than than movies anymore. You know, they have openings with maybe the exception of this latest Avengers movie, uh, whatever that is, uh, Endgame. I'm not a big comic book type person. The, the the amount of games they sell on opening day, the number of them, and as Derek said, I'm not not a big video gamer. I I don't have time to put the podcast out regularly for you guys, let alone to do some gaming. Um, I do spend some time on uh, a YouTube quite often. I think there's a, there's an ad that popped up on YouTube today. I don't know, hyper fast for the new Samsung whatever phone uh, S10. I'm not sure. I'm I'm in that app Apple Apple uh, hierarchy. I think Derek's more of a Droid person. But still, they they make it look like a little performance car with the graphics and that. If you go to YouTube. And you hit some of the, the the car sites and the sites that are about cars. And I was throwing together some numbers. You know, Matt Farah has you know almost nine hundred thousand subscribers to his car channels. Motor Trend YouTube has six point two million subscribers. Uh, Scotty DTV that we've had on here before has just shy of one hundred and seventy five thousand subscribers. Jalopnik is a quarter million subscribers. Uh, car and driver, six hundred and eighty-five thousand subscribers. I mean, and some of these are, you know, Motor Trend, Car and Driver, Road and Tracks got eighty-two thousand subscribers. Those are magazines that, oh no, we're, you know, we're we're print media and we're trying to learn what to do, and they're moving to the uh, YouTube world. Motor Trend has bought out Velocity Television, and the, you know those shows create a lot of interest some of the highest rated episodes of like american pickers or the the car ones i'm not seeing kids necessarily but youtube i don't know many people my age or there's not a huge percentage of people my age that sit down and watch youtube all the time there are a lot of 13 14 15 16 year olds that sit down and watch youtube all the time. That's their channels. That's how this information's getting conveyed. So I think, like I said, I think the interest is there, but we're in a society that, you know, your neighborhood won't let you put your garbage can out 12 hours before the garbage truck gets there. You can't have a junk car sitting in the driveway anymore. You know, when you're living in the, the su- I don't mean to make this a class thing, but when you're living in the subdivisions where you have the disposable income to do that. They don't tolerate that. I think it goes back a little bit to the four-year college degree and do that. Well, we don't want you working on a car because that's dirty, icky work. And that goes back to my support of the maker movement. We want to make things. And I get on a lot of my Facebook pages or you see on Instagram people 3D printing stuff to go into their car. You know, oh, I could modify my sunglass holder to hold an iPhone. I can print a new cup holder for the car. No, yeah, it doesn't make it go faster, but it's something they can do. You know, it's fascinating to, um, I consulted with somebody a year or two ago about building a custom car and they had to 3D print the intake and the guy having the car built and the guy building the car, they weren't of the generation that understood 3D printing, but a guy who worked in this shop understood 3D printing, and they printed part of the um, ductwork for the cold air intake on this car. I think the people are there, and we, we're just looking at it 
it's not the 1950s Arthur Fonzarelli from Happy Days, if you even remember Happy Days. It's not James Dean. It's people doing it virtually and programming computers. And I've got a friend in northern Indiana who's big into Volkswagens, reprograms the ECUs. I mean, he understands the mechanics of it. He's a mechanic by trade. But that's what he does, and he gets the most performance boost out of remapping the ECUs, and that's what he enjoys, and that's just sitting there and looking at code. I really think that the next generation is there. They just look at cars differently than we do. I mean, if you want another good video example, uh, what about these uh, that little movie franchise, uh, Fast and the Furious? You know, what about the movie Cars? You know, my ex-girlfriend and her daughter, her, the first movie her daughter saw was Cars. And the little one in the household now, one of his earliest movies was Cars. And they enjoyed the Cars. And Cars was a really good feel-good movie about Cars and Route 66. There was history behind it, even though they didn't portray it that way. And mentorship. And it's just... I think we have to look at, I'm defending the youth here. We have to look at the youth differently. They have a different taste in cars than we do. I did. I, like I always, I've said, I started with Hondas. I still enjoy Hondas. I see a CRX in my future at some point if I really decide I want to suffer through that again. Not suffer, but, you know, sometimes the past is the past and you better leave it alone because the memories are better than the reality. We just have to give these kids an opportunity and, not, you know, I'm speaking to the kids. We I understand that you're children and you do car things your way. You're listening to our podcast or the adults that are listening to our podcast. Next time you're at a car show, engage the teenager that's got a nose ring and tattoos. That's their style today. It's no no different than in the 50s when you wore your leather vest and, you know, you had your cigarettes rolled up in the, the shirt sleeve of your T-shirt. You know, your parents didn't, uh, you you weren't wearing a suit and tie or a jacket and tie. It's just the world, and we need to learn to change and be accepting of the world in which we live. Yeah, I mean, I I 100%, there we go, agree, John. And I think we've talked about this on the the podcast before. Uh, I think we've done a number of shows, and uh, I'm starting to forget what all of them are, and they tend to run together. Uh, you know, I think we talked a little bit on a show about the youth and, and younger generations and how to get them involved in cars so that we're not, we don't lose them. Yeah, one of the things we talked about was engage with them at car shows. You know, even if they're driving a car that you don't like personally, that's okay because they're driving a car they like and they're doing it their way. And I think it, it plays right into this, you know, yes. Again, I don't think it's it's something we need to get it to, into on the podcast, whether your kid should be inside behind a computer or outside running around in the backyard playing. You know, if they have a passion for something, you have to encourage that passion. And if it's building cars in a in a video game setting, you know, designing them, paint schemes, things like that, they're using a creative portion of their mind, which will help them in the future. I mean, it's it's no different than what, Probably, you know, John, Will, and myself did as kids in the garage working on cars. Yeah, there's there are ways to do things. You know, you the right way to do things mechanically. You have to do them a certain way to get them right and and make sure the car is is safe and built right. But 
there's also some liberties in creativity and metalworking when you're when you're doing things, especially on Will's end of things. I mean, that's that's purely creative metalworking. He's not trying to restore something to a specific look that it had when it came out of factory. That's the same thing these kids are doing. They're using a creative portion of their mind to design a vehicle in a virtual world that looks good and is pleasing aesthetically pleasing to the eye that's the the same thing will does just in three-dimensional hands-on settings so i think it's to be encouraged Uh, you know i mean again i don't want to get into the whole how many hours are they spending doing it versus getting some exercise outside or doing something like that's not what we're talking about what we're talking about is encouraging a new type of car guy and not bad-mouthing them because they're not out in the garage wrenching. And I'm going to go a little abstract with the comparison there, and it's something that I've learned dating at my age. Children are part of that. And the relationship I'm in with my fiance Zara, you know, she has two children. And when I came into this, it, it kind of drove me crazy, that the some of the stuff they did. Um, and they had no interest in my hobbies. Well, they had never been exposed to my hobbies. Um, And this is coming as an outside observer, and I might be wrong, and I might get yelled at about this. You know, they're not not into really into the car thing. They're not into my woodworking or my tools or things like that. But as we progressed in the relationship I have and being around them, they definitely know that Mom's car is cool, being the BRZ, and John's car, the SHO, is, you know, they, they kind of like that. You know, it's black, black-tinted windows, and it's not murdered out by any means. It's still, you know, nothing has been changed from if you ordered a black SHO that the dealer tinted the windows. And then, you know, my van is on cool, and nobody should own a van. And But they've come to, you know, going from, they didn't care what mom drove in that to, well, they have a little bit of that car guy about them. And then just in the last few weeks when I wander through the living room or I walk by the computer and they're on it, you always take note with what they're watching and, you know, making sure it's age appropriate. Uh, The eldest has been watching some of the maker YouTube videos and it kind of caught me off guard, and I had a conversation with him. You know, just say, hey, you, you know, we can do some of that stuff out. I've got the tools. If not, I know where to get the tools, or I understand the concepts, and, you know, and, you know whether it be resin pouring and that, and, uh, or CNC machining. And they're both uh, into the CNC that I bought, and it's kind of one of the reasons I, you know, got into that. It's, it's the exposure, it didn't happen overnight. One car show isn't going to turn them off, but one car show where everybody's arrogant to them and pushes them around and, you know, oh, you, you don't need to be here or you're doing it wrong. No, you got to show the encouragement. Um, as I alluded to my potential new venture in podcasting, part of the motivation behind that is it's going to surround me with a bunch of tech entrepreneurs, which might help they they might be around them and they might see and and a lot of these people are into 3D printing and graphics and computer animation and it's it's exposing and build, building 
and it's not me sitting there dwelling. You've got to come out into the shop and help me build a chair. Just letting them go and being exposed to it. And a year ago, they would have never dreamed to walk out into the shop. Now they might wander out when I'm seeing seeing something or cutting something out and ask what's going on. They're not going to stay around long. They'll want to get back to their air conditioning, etc. But why that's kind of completely off course and we're, you know, talking woodworking and electronics and it's what's got has to happen in the car world. Just be supportive. Don't tell them that your 57 Chevy is the greatest thing in the world. Don't explain to them that your Ford GT goes zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds and it has a, you know, a Roush supercharger and it's bumped up from, you know, let them engage and let them go, oh, this is a cool car and I like the, you know, hog rings and the seats and, oh, it's a manual transmission, you know, I don't know how this works. And let them kind of dictate the conversation and support them, not necessarily support them and teach to them. Don't preach to them what you want them to know. Let them explore. And, you know, three or four shows down the road, they might come to that same GT and know a little bit more and then want to know about the horsepower numbers and that. And like I said, I'm not a parent. Um, I play one in, as you know, as well as McDreamy plays a doctor on TV. He's a much better race car driver. Or Paul Newman played a uh, uh, pool player. And the, and the color of money, one or two, whichever you want to say. They're better car guys, but you you just, I'm like I said, I'm not a parent. I'm learning this stuff. And a lot of us out there in the world aren't parents or we're trying to, you know, let's just expose them and be supportive. There I am preaching to you and telling you what to do. But Well, we can preach to our listeners. We can't preach to the kids. But I don't think you're that far off base with the... Uh, talking about you know the CNCing machines and and those things the 3D printing and all of that with even with woodworking and and getting kids and you know you know Zara's kids involved and and seeing that they're starting to build an interest because the other thing we have to think about is and again I'm going to go back to that old school versus new school thing yeah you know John myself Will. Yeah, we were we were probably mostly taught. I guess I don't know these really what Will and John were taught on early on, and and what you know they've learned. I know John knows a lot more about CNC programming than than I do. All of my machining was taught on old machines that were manually operated. They weren't computer controlled, you know, milling machines and lathes and things like that. So understanding basically how to work the machine and get the measurements you want, you know, measuring as you're, as you're cutting and doing all these different things that are involved in that non-computerized method. Kids, you know, the, the young kids coming up that are interested in these com- car computer games, this virtual world, they're going to get a grasp on those CNC machines much quicker because they already understand how these computers work. They already understand that it's part of their, you know, their culture that they're growing up in. So the way I look at it, it's, it's a, maybe a bit of a, a turnoff to me because, you know, I, I'm not great with modern technology. <laughs> John and I were before the show, I'm having a problem with my laptop and I can't figure it out. So I got to have somebody else figure it out. 
any of the car kids that listen to this podcast, uh, if you want to reach out, I'd love to have somebody that was a tech support. <laughs> the kids that are learning these computer games, you know, working in compute the computer world, they're going to take to computer oper- operated machinery much quicker than I am. You know, the lathe I have in my garage at home, it's manually operated. There's no CNC component to it. There's, you know, there's no computer aided pieces on that thing. It's old school, turn the dials and shave some metal. I enjoy that. It's to me, it's, it's relaxing. It's uh, almost peaceful to sit there. Although when it starts to chatter, sometimes it's not that peaceful, but to, uh, you know, one of the younger generation, it's, it's much easier and probably more relaxing for them to go in, punch the numbers they need to punch in, hit the enter, hit the run and off the machine goes, they get to stand there and watch it cut out whatever they want. You know, I don't think it's that far off base, John. I know I kind of shot off on some tangents there, but I think that that is going to help develop a new car generation. Tangents. We never do that on this show. Never. Now, I think we've kind of preached a little bit on what our feelings are and that maybe hopefully we've enlightened the listeners a little bit on, you know, maybe the, the car kids are out there. We just we just have to find them and look for them. Talk to them their way. Uh, watch a YouTube video or watch Fast and the Furious if you haven't and realize, you know, we might not, I like, but we might not like uh, necessarily what they're putting down, I guess would be maybe the term from 10 or 15 years ago. Let's just do that. I'm going to totally say at that point, I want to wrap that topic, but I wanted to ask you, Derek, the news story that's been going around on social media this week. The guy that shot two people over the Ford and Chevy argument, um, and everybody seems to be keep, keep saying, you know, Mopar was the answer. Maybe they already assumed Mopar. What 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 do you think of that? Do you, have you ever been that passionate <laughs> defending your car? I guess it kind of <laughs> goes back to my 57 Chevy's the best and your Honda's horrible. <laughs> How mad do you have to be? Or and, and they never said who won the argument. The guy just shot somebody now there was a mustang in the picture but i don't know if that was the person that came and visited or his girlfriend or how that worked but uh, i just thought that was an odd story i didn't know if you had any opinions or even read it uh you know i saw the headlines i didn't read it um i i kind of chuckled to myself when i read it and thought well i thought many things that i can't probably say on the podcast uh but I've never been that passionate over a debate of Ford versus Chevy. Uh, if you uh, look at the trajectory of my career, I've uh, defected from Ford. Well, I've defected from General Motors as a, growing up as a kid to Ford, Ford when I went to the Henry Ford Museum to work there. Defected from Ford to Winton Country, Alexander Winton, who, of course, was one of Ford's biggest rivals. And uh, from Winton country, I I went back to General Motors. So I'm kind of all over the board there. Uh, However, I I guess in in my life, I would say Mopar is never the answer. It's either Ford or Chevy. But that's uh, that's just me speaking because I've never really had a passion for Mopar. One day you'll come around. Heck, even Will built a Mopar. Okay, okay. One... Well, let me think here. Well, I mean, are we talking like the true Mopar years? Because 
yeah, there's some early Chryslers that, and yeah, the Dodge brothers did some amazing things very early on. Uh, but if we're talking like the true Mopar muscle car years uh, and, and beyond, I've owned two Dodges in my life and those did not go well. I do like the late sixties and early seventies Cudas. Where I was going on that article a little bit, didn't you just defect? Um, I well, I couldn't. I, I don't know that I defected. I actually, I actually just yeah. Well, I, I carried through the rest of the defection. Yes. Uh, yeah. John. John is talking about the fact that about two weeks ago, I did let go of my Ford F one fifty. It was a very uh, emotional moment uh, at the dealership, but. We got through it, uh, you know. The the Ford wept a few tears. I, I gave it a hug, told it, it would be okay. Uh, but I did buy a uh, uh, actually very lightly used. It only had about twelve thousand miles on it. Uh, Two thousand eighteen GMC Sierra. So I'm I'm fully back under uh, the general. So and you can park up by the building now, right? Uh, yeah, they. I don't have to park in that lot down the street. Yeah. I remember that. I think uh, was uh, who I can't remember who we're talking. What executive it was that he used to drive his Ferrari F40 to General Motors design in Detroit and park it right at the front door, where you know most GM employees are encouraged. If you don't drive a GM, you you do need to park in the back 40, as they say. Yeah, well, it's not that bad. You know, it's not that way at the museum here. We have reserved Corvette parking, so we do have spots reserved. For those who drive their Corvettes, and uh, that's you know, for visitors, you know, employees tend to try to take further away spots so our visitors don't have to walk. Uh, but we don't we don't restrict any car from the campus. Uh, however, just you know, if you go over to the plant, know that you're going to have to park in certain parking lots, and they're very well labeled as to where you're supposed. To. I think with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up for this this week. I said, give us some feedback on um, Facebook or via email, no driving gloves at gmail.com. What you'd like to see for a release schedule? I might, might change it around. If you, I don't hear from you, we'll see which, which I stick with. Try to get the show out a little bit different and see if we can pick up somebody. Tell somebody about us. Leave us a review on iTunes. It really doesn't matter other than makes us feel good. No, don't listen to any of the other podcasts that tell you. It helps us. It doesn't. It means nothing other than makes us feel a little bit better. But feel free to leave us a review and tell a friend about us. Just have them check out the Facebook page or give us a listen and hit the subscribe button. Until then, talk to you guys in a week. Later. See you guys later.